Let's jump into this. If you've got a Bible, get it out. We're going into Matthew chapter 4. Just get ready for it. But here again, we're doing this whole week 2 of All In. And as you know, um, on your seat there's a card. So I want to just go ahead and prep you for this. We're going through each week of this. And remember... We're all, as a big, happy family, renewing our vows. We're recommitting to the vision of this thing. And here's why I want you to go ahead and take this card out. Because when you get bored, just fill this out, okay? If you start falling asleep, you can use it. If it's hot, you know, look at this. You can do a lot of things with this. But here's the whole point of this. You fill out the cards each week, and we know it feels like homework. We know it feels like... But here's the thing. We get a chance to actually care for each other at a much greater level, deeper level, now that we're going to do this. So we're kind of hitting reset, you know. And so thank you guys for doing this last week. Do it again this week. We're going to be talking about groups and connecting in community. Um, and then next week we're going to talk about what the next step is going to be. But please join us in that. Go ahead and start filling those things out. I will explain it a little bit more in a little bit. But here's where we're going. Week one was all about reach your one. Because that's the heartbeat. Listen, we realize that the lost captures the heart of Jesus. We realize that Jesus did everything he could to seek and save the lost. He was even saying to religious people things like, listen, it's not the righteous that need a doctor. It's the sick. It's the broken. That's why I'm here. So that's why for us at Compassion, we're always going, how do we reach our next one? But here's another thing that we're all about. We realize that we grow together in community. That's what we're going to be talking about. How do we grow together in community? Let me just point us to a passage. kind of kicks off Jesus' ministry, all right? So you got Matthew 4. If you don't got it, we're going to put it up here for you. Matthew 4, verse 19, here's what it says. It says, and he said to them, so this is Jesus talking to these two brothers. They're at the side of the, you know, Sea of Galilee there. And he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He says, come on, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Here's what he's been doing. He's been living his life. He's been praying about the launch of his ministry. His cousin, John the Baptist, has just been arrested, and so he now feels the weight of stepping into his calling, the calling of the Messiah, the calling of the proclaimer that the, heaven, the, the heavens are coming, the kingdom of heaven is here, it is now. And so what is the first thing he does? He says, I'm going to gather around a community around me. And he says to these fishermen, these brothers, Andrew and Peter. And then he goes to James and John, another set of brothers that were kind of in partnership together fishing. And he says, follow me. And now he's stepping into his role as rabbi. And which is interesting because most rabbis did not go to students and invite them in. Most students would go, could I be a student in your school? Could I follow you? But Jesus flips it. He goes after people and he says, I want you to follow me. Then look what he says. And I will make. I will make you into something new. You've spent your life devoted to this purpose of fishing. And he's saying, I want to make you new. I want to give you a new thing to devote your life to a grander calling, a much greater purpose, not just fishing for fish, but fishing for the hearts of the lost in this city and around our world. And so the invitation for him, and don't miss this, your invitation right now, your invitation is follow me, not me, Harrison, follow Jesus. He, Jesus says, follow me, 
I will make you into something new. I will give you a purpose and a calling that is greater than your living now. That's the invitation. It's an invitation to become his disciple, to his, become his apprentice. And here's what that means. We're going to be talking about these three words. It's an invitation to grow um, around these three ideas. Be, become, and do. So the, so the life of a disciple is growing in our being, our becoming, and our doing. Be with Christ. That's what the invitation is. Follow me. The picture is the rabbi's walking and you're in his shadow. You're getting his dust on you. That's what a lot of scholars would talk about. The dust of the rabbi is on you because it's this picture of I'm following him so closely. I'm listening to him so carefully. I'm watching him so carefully that I might one day imitate my rabbi. And so the invitation is be with him. And scripture is full of this. Listen, if you look at John 15, 5. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. So it's this invitation to abide in me and I with you. And that produces fruit in your life. The other thing is become like Jesus. So be with him, but become like Jesus as well. And look at Romans 12. This is a super well-known passage. Here's what it says. Do not be conformed to the world, or some translations say to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. If you go to Philippians 2, what does it say? It says, have this mind in you that is of Christ. So a disciple is literally trying to go through, I'm putting my brain, my ways of thinking, my ways of feeling, my ways of doing, I'm putting that aside and I'm taking on a new mind. The invitation to follow is to become like Jesus. That when people see you, they actually see him. And so as we're growing in our discipleship, as, as you say, yes, I will follow you're growing as one who is to be with Christ, to become like Christ, and then to just do what he says, right? How many of you got kids? How many of your kids do what you say? How many of you feel this thing in your gut that says, if you loved me, you would do what I said? That's exactly what scripture says. Look at what happens in John. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I can look at my kids and go, man, you're messed up. And then I can look at my life and go, oh, this is more about me. I am the one who has a hard time keeping his commands. And the question is not, did I do right, did I do wrong? The question is, where does my love lie? And so as a disciple, it's this invitation to be with him, to become like him, and to just do what he says. But if you're like me, you got that picture over there, and then you feel like there's a gap. There's where I am and there's where I want to be. There's where I am in knowing like I know my stuff, a few other people know my stuff, and it does not look like being with Christ, becoming like Christ, and doing exactly what it says. The problem is there's a major gap between where we are and where we want to be. So that's what we're talking about, all right? We're going to talk about that gap. We're going to talk about what it means to grow in Christ. And here's the truth that we want to understand. It's going to just wrap all the way around this. Here's what I want you to understand. We can't grow in our relationship with Christ without being in relationship with others. I'm going to say this again. I'm going to say it slower. All right? Just for emphasis. You can't grow in a relationship with Christ without being in relationship with others. It can't happen. You know, this summer was a big milestone for us. Uh, because my older two kids, they swim. 
But Callie, she was the one who was just kind of still had the vest on. She was just not digging it. But this summer, Callie became a swimmer. And you know how she get, became a swimmer? She got in the water. <laughs> how many of you learned to swim outside the water? No, you didn't. It's impossible. You can't learn to swim unless you're in the water. And she would stand on the side and she would just want to know the experience of jumping off the diving board, want to know what it was like to be free from these floaties and want to know the freedom that her siblings are experiencing. And it would not happen until she got in the water. That's how it is for us. The community that we are a part of is the context where we learn how to love like Jesus. You can't grow in your relationship with Jesus without a community. The invitation is, let's jump in the water. Okay? So this is all by design. I want to go all the way back to the beginning. So Genesis 1, 26. Side note, we're going to be all over the place, all right? And so if you've got a pen, make sure you just kind of take these notes or go uh, to the app and write some of these things down. Genesis 1, 26. Look what it says. Then God said, let us make man... And woman, so you could throw humanity. There we go. Let us make mankind in our image after our likeness. Now, there's a lot of speculation of who is this us? And who is this our that God is talking about? Is it referencing the Father, Son, and Spirit? You know, there's not a lot of, you know, banking. Is it this, like, majestic, kingly, let we will do this kind of thing? You know, there's a lot of speculation about these things. Here's what we know. You ready for this? God from the very beginning, exists in community. Before anything was, there was loving relationship in God. Do you get that? And then he created you, and he created me, and he created us not to be outside of community. He created us for community. He created us in community. And in the Old Testament, here it keeps going. God worked out his story through a people from a family that was from the line of Abraham. And now if you think your family's dysfunctional, read Genesis. Then you're going to be like, oh, we're not that bad. <laughs> we're pretty good. <laughs> you know, but it's one of those things that, man, crazy dysfunction in his family. But that did not stop what God promised to do through a people that came from this family. His promise went to a community. And it keeps going. Look at this. When Jesus began his ministry, his first conviction was what? I'm preaching the gospel. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what did he do? He gathered a community to surround him. Two of the brothers were called Sons of Thunder. That was his team. You think they got that name because they were patient? Or they were like really good at conflict resolution? Right? On his team was a tax collector and a zealot. You know what that means? Like at dinner, they're having a knife fight. You know, it's just one of those things that, listen, his, that was his community, full of dysfunction. But listen, God used it regardless. Listen, we're at a church family. This place was perfect till we all showed up, right? You know that. That's an old joke. Okay, we get it. Listen, here's the deal. This is us. So we figure it out or we don't. But the point is, you can't grow. You can't become like Jesus until you find yourself on that journey in community. Listen, in the New Testament, it keeps going. The death of Jesus and his resurrection inaugurated his mission of saving humanity. Now, look at this. What was his plan to spread the good news? 
He started a community called the what? The church. You are his plan for spreading the gospel to the world. Turn around to somebody and say, you're it. Right now, tell them, you're it. How many of you feel like really confident about this? You know what I mean? I'm, a, I'm looking at this going like, that's not the best plan I've ever heard in my life. You know what I mean? But here's the reality. It doesn't matter. The point is, this is how he designed it. There's no other plan to get this thing done. And so the point is, God's plan for every individual believer to grow into the image of Christ is cultivated by community. Dysfunctional, messy, brutal, rough family gatherings at Thanksgiving. It's, that's how he does this. So, according to the mind of Jesus, there's no version of Christianity that exists apart from community. There's no growth plan that exists in isolation. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask the question, how in the world are we supposed to do that? How in the world are we supposed to do this? Let's just be honest for a second. We don't know how to do relationships well anymore. It seems like we're growing towards, um, like we're, we're translating connecting as community and all this connection through media and all these things gives us a sense of community, but it's a false sense of authentic community. And so we don't know how to do face-to-face. -face. How many of you have sat down face-to-face -face with somebody and can figure out how to have a conversation? Is that weird for you, right? That's one of those things, and I'm a people person, and I, every now and then I'm like, man, I still, I don't know how to do this. Because we're, we're drifting in a place because our culture has some things working against us. So we're going to talk about how in the world are we going to do this. But I want to read a quote for you guys. Um, this book right here, um, if you're a reader, this is a really helpful book. Uh, this is called Life Together from Bonhoeffer. And it's his, um, you know, he's describing what authentic Christian community looks like, how you get there. And I want to read a part of this because, first off, I, two different times I heard this quote this past week, which in my mind I go, okay, the spirit is trying to like wake me up. You know what I mean? Um, I used to wait for three different times, but I'm getting faster. And so, um, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read this and I want you guys to hear it. So I need everybody to like sit up and lean in a little bit because I want you to picture this because here's the idea. We all come to community with the perfect picture. We all say like, man, it would be great if we could do this and we can, it would look like this. And then the problem is it never happens. And then that community kind of falls apart and we go, well, let's try it over here. And we all have this dream about what it could be. Listen to what Bonhoeffer says about that. He says, he who loves his dream of a community more than the commu Christian community itself becomes a destroyer of the latter. Man, feel that, right? Even though... His personal intentions may have been ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. He keeps going and it gets better. Y'all ready for this? God hates visionary dreaming. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. The man who fashions a vision ideal of community demands that it be realized by God, by others, and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, and judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. He stands adamant, a living reproach to all others in the circle of the brethren. He acts as if he is the creator of the Christian community, as if his dream binds men together. 
When things do not go his way, he calls the effort a failure. And when his ideal picture is destroyed, he sees the community going to smash. So he becomes first the accuser of his brother, brethren, then the accuser of God, and finally the despairing accuser of himself. Here's the problem. We come with this perfect picture of what community is. And we can miss what is right in front of us. I am a dreamer. I live in an ideal world. I live in a place that does not exist here and now. It's somewhere in the future and it's somewhere above in the clouds. But and so when I read that, I go, that is me. I can play back my history and go, that was a community that I had missed because I had a grander vision that God never realized. I can go back to high school and go, man, if only I had had this understanding, if God had destroyed my vision of what perfect community is and looked right across the table and realized this is us. This is our community. This is the context where we learn to love like Jesus. Soak it in. <laughs> now, I was just listening to a message by a man, John Mark Comer. He's a really brilliant guy. He helped me understand some things of how do we actually kind of come against these things that are keeping us from authentic Christian community. So I want to address some things, um, but know that a lot of what I'm going to say has come from him. He really helped me understand this. So here's what he says. Transformation is the result. Growth is the result of a commitment to vulnerability and accountability in community. All right, hold, hold on to those two words because growth happens. This is what community looks like when you're committed to being vulnerable with somebody else and you've invited them to be accountable. You've invited them to hold you to account in community. Here's what it looks like in my brain. Okay, on one side, we've got vulnerability. On another side, we've got accountability. The more you have these trusted people in your life and are vulnerable with, and they know things about you, the more your ability and capacity to have relationship broadens. Here's the other side. The more you invite people to hold you accountable, the more that you say like, hey, I'm trying to be like Christ and become like him and be with him and I'm, and I'm trying to do what he says. And then you say, help me. And they say, I'm helping you. So the more we allow people to hold us accountable, it, the, the spectrum broadens. Our ability to relate with one another broadens. Your marriage broadens. The ability to know and be known. Here's the problem. Yeah, well, let me explain these words, vulnerability and accountability. Brene Brown in her book, Daring Greatly, says this. Vulnerability is the birthplace of love, belonging, joy, courage, empathy, and creativity. It's the source of hope, empathy, accountability, and authenticity. Now, really hang on to this. If we want greater clarity in our purpose or deeper or meaningful spiritual lives, vulnerability is the path. Here's what I think she's saying. Vulnerability is the risky path of being known deeply. You're not going to grow in a relationship without being vulnerable, which means that is what's going to hinder your relationship with the Father. Do you get this yet? Can't grow in a relationship with God without having a relationship with other people. Can't grow in understanding of who he is without a community context of knowing what it means to be loved and love. So vulnerability is the risky path of being known deeply. Now here's why you should not be vulnerable with everybody. I want to say that again. You should not be vulnerable with everybody. A mentor of mine kind of said it this way. Here's what you need to do. You need to be honest with everyone. 
okay? You need to be transparent with some, and you need to be vulnerable with a few. You see, Jesus had his crowds, he had his 12 that he surrounded himself with, but then he had his three. So he was honest with everybody. The kingdom of heaven is coming. I am the one. I am the bread of life. I am the source of living water. He, so he was honest with everybody. He called out religious people. He called out people who were stuck on money. He called out people who were waiting for something else to come. And he was honest with everybody. He was transparent with his 12. He was transparent with his discipleship group. He was the one who showed them, like, hey, follow me. Look at my life. See how I do things. See what bothers me. See what drives me crazy. See what brings me joy. But then there were three that he was vulnerable with, Peter, James, and John. These three were the ones that he invited into the room where he healed the 12-year-old girl. Do you remember that story? These three were the ones that he invited onto the Mount of Transfiguration. He said, I'm going to pull back the curtain so you see who I really am for a moment. And it blew their minds. And the best idea they had was, let's build a tent, you know? Okay, yeah, you didn't get very far. All right, then, then but he was vulnerable with these three. He, these are the three that he was weeping and sweating blood in the garden the night before he was crucified. Do you have a 12 and do you have a three? A group of people that you can be transparent with or a group of people that you can be vulnerable with. Do you have that? People you sweat blood with? People that you can call at two in the morning and they will show up for you? Do you have your 12? Do you have your three? If you don't, that's where we're moving, okay? You see, accountability, on the other hand, let's define this real quick. Accountability is the process of following Jesus. It's simply putting yourself aside, submitting to the way of Jesus, and giving someone you trust the responsibility of holding you to that way. Giving someone the responsibility of holding you to that way. But there are two things that hinder us from pursuing authentic community. And there, here's the first one. Individualism. Individualism. Here is this idea, it's the cultural, it's the American cultural narrative that says, it's all about who? Me. If this plan doesn't work for me, it doesn't work. Listen, America is like one of the few communities that is plagued with this idea of individualism. Every other community would say like, well, if it works for us, then it can work for me. America is the one place that seems to be saying, like, it's got to be my way. It's got to happen this way because that's what works for me. Think of how dysfunctional that kind of mindset would do. Think of what that does to your family. Think of what that does to our nation. We're plagued by this. And all of a sudden, when you look at that spectrum, all of a sudden, this idea of accountability seems crazy. I'm going to give somebody the responsibility to hold me accountable, not unless I want to. And so all of a sudden, instead of expanding our ability to have relationships that are significant and deep, all of a sudden individualism shortens it. This is how far I want to go. Here's the other thing, intimidation. Many of us walk around with a fear of being known, and for good reason. Because you had a vulnerable relationship with somebody, and they screwed it up, right? I mean, we're all in this boat. We've all taken that step and got burned. And so all of a sudden now, this intimidation, this I, I'm never doing that again. For some of you, it was decades ago. Decades ago. When you were a child 
And that thing happened. Now all of a sudden that scope of relational capacity shrinks. Vulnerability and accountability are the opportunity to grow in your ability to know and be known, love and be loved. And all of a sudden this individualism and this intimidation shrinks our capacity so that this is what we've become satisfied with. This is how much friendship I will allow. So my question is, what do we do to push back on individualism and intimidation? What are we gonna start doing to live out this picture of community that Jesus has for his church? Two things, number one, commit to finding community. Commit to finding it. I'm not saying commit to community. I'm saying commit to finding it. You're gonna go try things and it's gonna be like, that did not work. <laughs> you're gonna go find people and you're gonna, these are not my people. And so commit to the, finding them. Find the place where you can be known. Find the person that gets you. Find the place where you can go, yes, let's commit to vulnerability and accountability. Let's, let's find this place. Listen, remember, you never learn to swim until you do what? Jump in the water. All right? So find, commit to finding that place. And here's one of the things that we're going to do as a church to help you begin that journey. Take out your form. Take it out. Take it out. Yes. It's homework time, except we're going to do it right now, and we're going to turn it in before you leave. Um, but I want you to fill this out. Fill out all the personal information up top. And here's what we want to do. We want to help in this process. The bottom, listen to what it says. I'd like to sign up to join a rooted group. Rooted is a, is a kickstart for life groups. Here's what we realize. So many of us want to get plugged into a life group, and we have the hardest time figuring out how to do it. So here's what we're doing as a church. We're launching this thing called Rooted. We're going to talk about it every month in Growth Track. And we're going to be getting people together to start this thing. In, in the, but since we're launching Growth Track right now, here's what I need you to understand. Rooted is coming in January. So if you're interested in signing up for a group, sign up. Check that mark. Sign, check us some of these other things. But we're going to help you find something now. All right? So our team's going to follow up with you. And look at the bottom. If you are already in a group, say yes and please write your group leader's name because of accountability. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, actually, that's not true. Yes, accountability. We want to know how to support you. Man, there's so many things that we're like, as a church, if we did this together, it would give us a chance to actually get to figure this thing out. So if you'd like to sign up for a rooted group, check that. And then if you are already in a group, check yes and write out your group leader's name. If you're not ready to sign up for a rooted group at this time, that is totally okay because you're probably thinking, this is crazy. I'm not going to be accountable to nobody. I'm not going to be vulnerable with anybody. I'm not joining a group. That's fine. Just check it, though, please. Or we're going to call you or just sign you up for some baby class, and you're going to get stuck with babies. Just kidding. <laughs> babies are awesome. All right, number two. So first, find, commit to finding community. Number two, practice the love of Jesus. That sounds super churchy, doesn't it? But here's the thing. I want you to listen to this. In the New Testament, there are several different one another's. In fact, there are 77 in the New Testament, 77 different um, passages that specifically teach us how to treat one another. Let me read just from Romans 12. Are you ready for this? Here are the one another's that show up just in Romans 12. Love one another. Picture this. This is your family. This is your new goal. This is you practicing love in your community. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Live in harmony with one another. Ouch, that one doesn't fit for me because I'm an individualist. Give preference to one another. That one also does not work for me. But this is why you practice it in the context of community. Be at peace with one another. 
Man. What if, what if your community was defined by peace? What if your family was defined by peace? Think about that. But it's the place you practice love, okay? If you're not there, then you practice it. And, and God forms you. I will make, that's what he says, follow me and I will make you something new. I will do something in your life. He's the one who does the work, okay? Finally, be of the same mind of one another. Jesus said, by this, all men will know you are my disciples if you what? Love one another. This is what defines us. This is what sets us apart. We're a community that is devoted to loving one another and being loved. As a follower of Jesus, the community that we are a part of is where we learn to love and be loved. I love metaphors, and so I'm going to put it a different way. As a follower of Jesus, you've been given the ability and the call. Hear me now. Ability and call to love one another. It's like you've been given a cart full of paint. All right, if you're not a painter, then picture something else. Tools, I don't know. You've been given a cart full of paint. Your community is the canvas. Without community, there is no painting a picture of Christ's love. It's impossible. Two things are separated. You've been given the ability and the call, but without community, there's no opportunity to paint that picture, no opportunity to go further with this. Without community, there's no context to create a clear picture of his love. That's why it matters, all right? That's why we grow together. Now, our team is going to go ahead and come forward. They're going to collect all these things. And so as these baskets come, just be prepared to put it in there. You're going to multitask because I'm going to still talk. All right? And so our team's going to be collecting these things. But let me share a story real quick. So this past summer, uh, my family, we went to Montana because that's where most of the Norwegians live still. And so since they outnumbered us, that's where we go. That's our heritage. Norwegians represent. Um, and so we go, we go to Montana, and it's beautiful. We did a road trip, by the way. So rep, fan, fan of the minivan, let me just say that. We got four kids. We made it to uh, Montana, and it was amazing. So we um, were just spending a lot of time with our family. We were getting to just um, get to reconnect with a lot of people we don't see that often. But I've been processing this question a lot, this question of, okay, what does it actually mean to be in community? What does it actually mean to be in Christ. Okay, so Paul says that over and over and over. If you're a follower of Jesus, that means theologically, practically, you are in Christ. You live in him. It is no longer you who lives. It is Christ who lives in you. You're no longer living your life. He's using your body to live his life. So I've been dwelling on that idea. What does it mean? What does that, what does that look like? And so, you know, all of these old spiritual figures in our, in our church history, they go outside and they have this amazing encounter with Jesus. So I was like, I'm going outside. And I'm going to go hiking. Because we don't have mountains in Savannah. I don't know if you knew that. Um, and so, so we, we, we went I went hiking. I was by myself because it had to be like a me and Jesus thing. And so I went hiking. Turns out there's no air in Montana. Like here, here you can breathe and drink at the same time because of humidity. It's amazing. You never run out of water. There, there is no oxygen. So I like make it halfway up this mountain. I'm like, I'm making it up the mountain. And then I'm like halfway, I'm like, I'm, I'm done. I can't do this. And so I turn around. And I turn around and where we were, we're on a lake. And I turn around and I see the north part of Flathead Lake. And I'm like, this is amazing. I'm so glad I decided to leave where I was and take a hike 
because my perspective changed. I turned around and I looked and I saw the lake. I saw the mountains on the other side. I saw the water tower and the little sailboats and everything. And I saw this, this vibrant yellow field. It was mind blowing. And I saw that in this, I was like, man, this is phenomenal. What a view. And I was like, I am so good. I'm so glad I did this. And then in the back of my mind, I remember saying I was going to the top. And I was like, man, I don't need to go to the top. This is good. This is good enough. But then something in me was just like, don't be lame. <laughs> so it's probably my dad's voice, to be honest. Anyways, <laughs> sorting through that on a different level. So, so anyways, because it was at a point where I'm like, I'm now in somebody's yard. <laughs> this, is, this is like dangerous. But I, I sneak around. and So I go to the top and then I turn around. And it was a completely different perspective. It was, I saw twice of what I was able to see halfway up the mountain. I mean, I saw the same things, but then I saw that there's a river going and the, there's not just one field, there's multiple fields. And then there's this housing community. All the, and it was just like this picture of like, what if I had stopped? What if I had decided like, no, this is good enough. I'm going to just stop right here. I don't need anything more. I would have missed the vision, the picture of what Jesus wanted me to see. Listen, for us, when it comes to community, do you get what I'm saying? So many of us show up on Sunday and we say that's good enough. Or so many of us take one more step and we say that's good enough. And he's going, if you only knew what I have for you, if you only knew the picture of relationships, do you know what I would teach you in that? Do you know how I would teach you to love? Because that person's hard to love. And guess what? You're hard to love. And I'm going to teach you all these things. But if you only stop halfway up the mountain, you're never going to see it. You're never going to experience it. You see, Moses was a man who always went up the mountain. He was surrounded by a fearful people who always said things like, listen, we don't want to go there. We don't want to deal with God. You come back and tell us what he says. You hear from him. You experience him. And then we'll just, whatever you say, we will do. And so Moses was the man who always went up the mountain. Listen to what this says. Exodus 20, 21. The people stood far off while Moses drew near, listen to this, the thick darkness where God was. Because he said, even if it's scary, if it means I get more of God, I'm in. Even if it's terrifying, if it means I get to know him better, I'm in. Even if it means that nobody's going with me, I'm going up this mountain because if I get more of him, then it is worth it. That's the whole point. The risk is actually worth it. The risk of taking and being vulnerable is worth it because being known and being loved and being cared for changes things for you. And loving and knowing and caring for somebody changes things for you. But you've got to take a risk. You've got to go up the mountain. You've got to be the kid that jumps in the stinking pool. You're not going to learn how to do this until you do. That's the invitation when he says, Come, follow me. Just come and follow me. And I will make things happen in your life that you don't get yet. I'll make you different. I'll take your purpose, your little picture of purpose, and I'm going to explode it. But just come, follow me. Surround yourself in community.
That's the invitation for us. All right? So let me pray for us. We're going to continue on. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the opportunity that we've been given to study your word. I pray that aspects of your word would have just landed on our heart and your spirit would just stir it up so that we become more like you, Jesus. That's our greatest desire. We want to be with you. We want to become like you. We want to do whatever you say because your will is like a delight to us. Being obedient is like a love language for us as we're in relationship with you. So for those of us here, we know what we need to do next. And I pray that your spirit would give us the courage to do that. We pray in your name. Amen.